Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, my name is Noah. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, I'd just like to say that we're just overjoyed that you're here. And it is always good to gather together with believers. And if you're new, I pray that you feel welcome. And I would say stick around because it gets better. This summer, we've been walking through the series. As many of you know, the series is called Keeping Step, and it's about a walk through the book of Galatians. So we've been taking a section a week, kind of dissecting it, and then applying it to our life. Um, last week, Pastor Drew preached on Galatians 3, 15 through 29, and it was awesome. Who was here for Pastor Drew preaching last week? Yes. I would highly encourage you to go watch it on our Facebook page if you are not here. From his sermon, we learn this. The inheritance of a believer is the spirit. The spirit produces unity and family, and that produces blessing. Today, we'll be covering the next section, which is Galatians 4, 1 through 11. I want to read that, and then we're going to kind of walk through a few of those sections and kind of... Pull them apart and see if we can apply something to our life here today. Galatians 4. You want to put up that on the screen? Galatians 4. It says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Galatia, by the way. Verse 2. But it... But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, you are an heir through God. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and to the worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. The main point from today, <clears throat> embrace your adoptive state into the family of God. You are bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, Live a life that would honor God and share in his characteristics. <clears throat> My wife and I have been married for 12 years. We actually have three kids, um, Israel, Everly, and Jethro. And um, it is amazing when you start having maybe your first kid or you've had a few kids. And it is amazing how much they actually look like you. And there's always that debate between the husband and the wife, maybe, of like, oh, no, he looks like me. Or he's got my eyes, or he's got my ears, or he's got my stature, or he's got all of these things that looks like you. And Edward, you want to put up that first slide? This, 
Man, all the parents in the room, aww. <laughs> the one without clothes is uh, my son Jeff, or my son Israel, the eldest. And on the other side is my wife Alyssa, around the same age. And it was, oh, it was bizarre as we had our first child, and then we begin to look back through her baby pictures. And we're like, who does he look like? <laughs> he looks exactly like her. <laughs> Next one. This, the clothed one, is a picture of me. My mom's in the room, so easy, guys. <laughs> You're gonna, tears are going to be flowing real quick. <laughs> and then the, the unclothed one, once again, is my daughter, Everly. Both of us looked very, very similar growing up. And looking back through baby pictures, we were shocked and amazed about how much our kids resembled us. It's amazing. And the more kids you have, it never ceases to amaze, amaze you. And when you have a few kids, it is a constant demand on the mother and the father for food, for entertainment, for everything. And babies will always let you know how they're feeling and maybe even what they're going to do next. My son, right before this service started, Jethro, he's almost just barely two. He, he said, I want to get out of here. <laughs> okay, set him down, and he ran to the front doors. <laughs> he knew what he wanted. <laughs> I want to get out of here. <laughs> as kids grow, it's even more bizarre as they grow because children begin to even look more like their parents, and their personality and their personhood become very, very apparent. I love when you're first holding a baby because for me, I'm looking at a kid and I'm like, in them is already a personality, is desires and dreams and passions and interests. And then as they grow, those things come out of them and you can see it. And you can recognize your kid, yourself a lot in your kid growing up. They have their natural giftings and interests already embedded into the fabric of who they are. And then they grow from that into teenagers. And they may even look even more like their parents at that time. And if I could give you maybe just a little snippet of a thought. I've worked with teenagers for the last eight years of my life. And I've had kind of the spectrum of, of teenagers from a very broken household to really full and even complete household. And I would say this, if you have teenagers or maybe you have influence over teenagers, speak life over them. So often I hear phrases like this, when, they're out of that, when they turn 18, they're out of the house. And I hear things like that and it breaks my heart because there's a societal thing where we feel like teenage years are going to be the hardest and the worst years for you. Let me submit something to you. What, it's, what if it's the best years in your house? What if you have some of the funnest times with your teenage, young adult person in your house? And I think as a believer, I think our, our first, like, our first uh, step forward in things is for faith. And to believe the best in a situation and to be like, I know it may be hard, but man... I'm believing that this is going to be the best. 
And there has been something so beautiful I've seen in the lives of teenagers when I believe in them. They, there is something in this like, oh, you believe in me? I'm like, come on, let's do this. This is going to be beautiful and amazing. I love working with teens. They're so fun. <laughs> Those teenagers, though, very, very quickly become adults. Like, very quickly become adults. Um, and the adults, sometimes you look more and more like your parents. And the older you get, the more you look like your parents. And that even gets more bizarre because maybe the weight gain happens or the lack of hair happens or <laughs> those things happen too. And you have even more realization of how many common traits you have to them. And hopefully, you know, you end that in transition from that into adulthood and you have a beautiful relationship with your parents. How about this? If you were here with your parents today, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand if you're here with your parents. Yeah, actually quite a few of you. My parents are here in the crowd today. We understand the natural and genetic personality traits that we gain from our parents. But according to the Apostle Paul in this chapter, chapter 4, we inherit spiritual characteristics as well, not just genetic things. So Galatians 4, let's read it. This that verse 1 through 3. It says this, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In the Jewish and Greek culture at the time, they had coming-of-age ceremonies that were marked by a specific age. A child would turn a specific age, and they would go from childhood to adulthood, maybe a boy to a man. That would indicate that transition, a, a certain age. The Romans, though, had a different ceremony that was not indicated by age and not dictated by age, but rather it was on the discretion of the father. He would say, son, you are now a man. A biblical commentary said this about verse 1 through 3 that I found really interesting that I thought I'd share with you. It says this, think of a wealthy ancient household. With a young boy who is destined to inherit all his father has. When the boy is just a child, he actually has less day-to-day -day freedom and authority than a high-ranking slave in the household. Yet, he is destined to inherit everything. And the slave isn't. In fact, the heir is under the strict care of the guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Isn't that beautiful? The entirety of the book of Galatians is driving home the point that your faith is in Jesus that saves you and changes you and brings you into the family of God. And in the opening of the chapter, chapter 4, it paints this picture of a child as an heir to his father, but he is under, we see, guardians and managers, these two things, until the appointed date of the father. The discretion of the Father. Those guardians and managers that Paul is talking about are the Old Testament law. That's what they were. The guardians and the managers are the Old Testament 
law is what he's speaking of. Paul's charge, though, then, is this, that we would grow from children that were governed by the Old Testament law, and we would rather then begin to grow up as adults and have a faith that does not reside in Old Testament law, but resides in Jesus. That would reside not in the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant. That we would then become heirs of Jesus in his kingdom, and we would inherit the blessing by faith in Jesus. In verse 3, it says this, In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What were those elementary principles? In the Jewish and pagan culture at the time, they believed firmly in this mentality, cause and effect, or to make it more like how you would understand it, karma. They believed fully and completely in karma, and it, and it, and it permeated everything in their culture, and even down to how Jewish Christians would walk out their faith. This is the mentality of these elementary principles, and I still think it permeates how we think today. But this faith in this works-based tension that we see throughout the Galatians is tied to this. This works-based mentality is tied to karma, is tied to this old pagan religion, this idea. And once again, what Paul is after, he goes, your faith has to be in Jesus. It is the thing that saves you and changes you and brings you into the family of God. It is not your works. It is not all of these Old Testament laws about getting everything right. Your works won't save you. It is only faith in Jesus that brings salvation. It's like this. It's like when you go out to a meal with someone and then they pay for it out of the blue. Ever happened to somebody? And then you have that thought. You're like, man, I, w I feel bad. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have ordered an appetizer. <laughs> you know, you have all these thoughts. I grew up like that and always feeling bad. But think about this. How silly is it to argue about a bill that's already been paid? But not growing from children held by these elementary principles, this old thing, and not growing up and living this life and having your faith in Christ, you bind yourself to the old thing. Being tied to the law instead of, instead of faith, and it robs you of that inheritance and that blessing. You argue then about a bill that's already been paid instead of enjoying the blessings of faith because Jesus already paid your bill for you. In my life, I noticed that older believers would always be able to recognize a blessing that would happen and then they would gracious, graciously accept. One said believer once told me when I was <clears throat> not wanting to receive a blessing, said, don't rob someone's blessing to you, Noah. Because oftentimes it is better to give than receive. And the most infuriating thing is when you're trying to bless someone and love them, <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 I don't want it. No, 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 I'm good. No, no, no. You're like, oh, let, let, me, just, let me just pay for your meal, man. You want another appetizer? Like, <laughs> Don't be stuck. Grow in maturity in your walk with God and be able to recognize blessing that's in the natural but also in the spiritual. Rest in your faith in Jesus, in the blessing and an inheritance that follows by having faith in him. Let it shape you and change you day by day. Verse 4 and 5. 
When the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And when you read this, you could also put in sons and daughters. You can, it is just talking about believers in that. God's timing is that fullness of time that Paul is talking about. And it's perfect timing. God's timing is always perfect because he knows. One of the titles of God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ends. And he knows the beginning of end of all stories. And he knows the beginning and end of your story as well. So for us, if God has a timing through all of these things in scripture that we see, God has a timing for your life too. And our part to play as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is this. Wait on the Lord for his timing. That's it. And man, that is so much easier said than done. And when the, and that says, when the fullness of time is come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and born under the law. God sent his son because he loves you and, and because you were incredibly valuable to him. That you were worth it and you were worth the cost. In Ephesians 1, 7, it talks about this and says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus was born of a woman. He was born fully God and fully man. And it's to illustrate something. He understands you and knows you. He lived a life similar to yours in some ways. There was temptation and there's all of these things. And he was born under the law because he came to fulfill the law. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus is talking and he says this, do, you, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Or the prophets. He didn't come to abolish this Old Testament thing. I have not come to abolish them, but rather I've come to fulfill them. To bring them to their completion. And through that fulfillment, we would receive redemption, salvation, and adoption. Paid all by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And from that, we would become sons and daughters of God. We become family. And we become family only through Jesus. He says, I am the only way. We become family because we are adopted in as sons and daughters. Not as servants. You're not adopted in as a servant. You're not adopted in as a helping hand or a stable boy. I don't know. (laughs) You're not adopted in as any of those things. You are adopted in as a legitimate son or daughter of God because he loves you to not only pay the price for your sin but then to do one better to bring you into the family of God and he did it in love and it's really important to understand that because motivations matter it makes a difference if he paid for us with blood on the cross he actually could put us into forced obedience and we'd be servants But yet, he was motivated by love that we would be set free from sin and that we'd become heirs to him and we would inherit his kingdom. 
Out of that love, it begets love. And our obedience in Jesus isn't a forced obedience, but rather it's a loving obedience. Because I'm a son. Or you could say I'm a daughter. And when you are adopted into the family of God, things begin to change. And you are no longer a sin, a slave, or to the world, but you're about something different. You're about your father's business. <laughs> and you're about expanding the kingdom on this earth. Amen? In earthly adoption... It comes with a benefit. It comes with a whole life change. It comes with a home and a family, a place to be secure, a mom, a dad, siblings, all of these things. And everything is new and different when somebody is adopted. And it's different than what they were originally given. Adoption changes everything for that person. And if you are or you know someone that is adopted, you understand the power and the beauty of it. Adoption defined, there's a second definition that sits in here. It's really interesting. It says, adoption is the act or process of beginning to use something new or different. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17 says this. From now on, therefore... We, we regard no one according to the flesh, to the old thing. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old thing has passed, and behold, the new has come. If you placed your faith in Jesus, you are in the family. And everything is new. Adopted in as a son and a daughter. And your identity is no longer of sin or the world. That is the old thing. You are new. And you are different. Because you are a product of grace and of Jesus. This is your identity, your family, and your life now gets wrapped up into the family of God. Because you were adopted in. When you're part of an earthly adoption, you naturally become a part of the inheritance. A slave can't bring an inheritance. A servant can't bring an inheritance. A helping hand can't obtain an inheritance. But since you are a son or a daughter, you actually are written in into the inheritance. Because not by your merits or not by what you do, but now because of your position. It's not your merit. It's not what you do. Now that you are adopted in, now that you have that position with God, that he is Father God and you are a son and daughter, you now have an inheritance. Let's continue to six and, verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. <clears throat> As an heir of God, you are written into the inheritance of heaven. And naturally, when we think about inheritances, we always equate them with death. That inheritance and death are these things that are super interconnected. And when a family member would die, and maybe you've experienced this to some degree, you can obtain all sorts of things from objects to Maybe lands or houses or money or any of those things when someone dies. Death and inheritance are very, very tightly knit. And Ephesians 1 says this, 111. 
In him we obtain an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Our filter of understanding of inheritance being interconnected with death is very, is very correct. Because something will die for us to receive an inheritance. Something must die for us to receive this inheritance in the family of God. Something must die. Romans 6, verse 11. So you must all also consider yourself dead to sin and now alive in God and Christ Jesus. Death and inheritance are still connected. And you gain an inheritance as a believer by that right there, becoming dead to sin and alive in Christ. I think most of us <clears throat> associate the word, the word inheritance with only physical possessions. And we, when we would hear that, we would think, oh, someone died, and, and that is true. But you know what's really interesting is if you looked at the word inheritance defined, it's actually defined differently than I thought, at least. It says this, inheritance, the genetic characteristics transmitted from parent to offspring. The genetic characteristics transmitted from parents to offspring. Being born again in the family of God, you have an inheritance. And that inheritance is him. It's Jesus. And from that, the spiritual genetic characteristics are being transmitted from Jesus to you. From Father God to his children. And what characteristics are being transmitted to me as a believer, as a follower of Jesus? The transmitted characteristics of, are the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That you would be marked and you would be known as a believer when you walk with Jesus by things like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The world will know that we are His because of our love for one another. That you would be marked with joy, joy undescribable. That you would be marked with peace, peace that goes beyond understanding. That when it's chaotic or when you're unsure of the future, you are having this characteristic transmitted to you from Christ as your inheritance. That you would have peace that goes far beyond understanding. That you would have patience. Lord, I need that. <laughs> that you would be marked with kindness and goodness, that you would make the right decision even when it's really difficult. You would be marked with faithfulness. Next slide. And gentleness. And that you would be marked with self-control. And against such things, there is no law. He is your father because you are adopted in and he is your inheritance because you are a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. He is your portion. And now his presence and his power is now your birthright. As a family is established, this family of God is established, where people are becoming dead to sin and now alive in Christ and putting their faith in Jesus, something is formed out of a family. Something is formed out of the family, and as inheritances are given, a heritage is established. 
A heritage is this, the traditions, achievements, or beliefs that are parts of the history of a group or a nation. Families in the natural have heritage, positive or negative. <laughs> Tendencies, traditions, things you do at the holidays. Adoption in Christ, the born again, also has a heritage. Now, what is our heritage as believers? In Psalms 2.8, it says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, in the ends of the earth your possession. You want to know what your heritage is as a believer and a follower of Jesus? People are your heritage and your history. The people that are impacted by Christ, the people that are saved by Jesus, they are part of the heritage of God. People that are adopted into Jesus are a part of your heritage. The family of God has a heritage. Our story, our history as a group, as followers of Jesus, is one of redemption and salvation. We are not the same as we used to be because Jesus changed everything. And if you asked around this room, which I always encourage you to do, and ask people stories of their redemption, you would be so encouraged, you'd be so surprised, and you would be inspired. Because there are stories in this room of the beautiful and amazing redemptive work of Jesus. Stories that would shake you. And all of us are tied to this in one way. It's because we are all family now, adopted in as sons and daughters of God. Galatians 4, 8 through 11. <clears throat> Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have, may have labored over you in vain. Do you know that you were saved from something for something? Jesus sought you and saved you and has a plan for your life. Says this, Paul writes this, he goes, When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. What's not a God that has been or maybe is in my life? Pastor Drew said it really perfectly last week. He said, by your worship and your power, you, or uh, by your worship, you empower that false God in your life by giving it time, energy, and resources. The devil is not a God. That addiction is not a God. That sinful behavior is not a God. That destructive thought pattern is not God. It will only corrupt, stop giving it worship and empowering it. Remember that God saved you from something for something. He saved you for the, from those things to give you a plan for something. God brought you out of that lifestyle and adopted you into the family of God. And before you knew God, that old lifestyles, you looked like what you followed. You bore the characteristics of that lifestyle. Then you were redeemed by the one true God. And you could say, here even now, 
I am dead to sin. But that old way, that old false guy, God, but now I'm alive in Christ. Amen? Now you're a son and a daughter of God. And as you follow him, you will look more like him. That transmission of the characteristics of God will be transmitted to you because that is your inheritance. Why did he do this? Why did God do all this for you? Because he loves you with purpose and for a purpose. And if you ever wonder what your purpose is, you should get in touch with a God that knows how to rewrite destinies. Change your life. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless, weak and worthless, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Weak and worthless. They can't save you. They can't bring salvation to you. They can't radically alter your life. They're weak and they're worthless. Could I get a keyboarder? God found you. He left the 99 and found you. People often say, and I hear this a lot, is you're like, oh, I found God. I'd submit to you that he found you. And I'd say that because when I read stories through the Bible, I see story after story after story of God chasing and pursuing people, of not giving up, of doing everything he can to bring them back to the house, to bring them back to the fold. It even reminds me of Matthew 18. Matthew 18, it says this. Jesus says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Why do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? You were that one at one point in time. And if he finds it, Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So that it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that even one of these little ones should perish. Heaven rejoices when a person puts faith in Jesus and he is brought in through adoption to the family of God. For he is always seeking after the lost treasure. And you are worth it. He sent his son for you to pay the ultimate price on the cross for you. Jesus didn't die for you because you are worthless or without value. He died for you because you were so valuable to him that you were worth it. Remember where you were. Remember when God found you. Remember how he changed you and let all of that lead you to where you were going. This section ends on a note of frustration from Paul. It says this, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Meaning this, you've seen it all. You've seen the days and the months and the season. 
You've seen the working of God. You understand all of that. Why do you keep going back? It's frustration out of him. And if it was to be said simply, it is this. Believer, don't go back to the old thing. Don't serve that old false God. Don't serve that old sinful habit. Don't put your faith in a workspace mentality. Put your faith in Jesus. All of those things outside of Jesus will always bring destruction to your spirits and to your friends and to your family, to your health. Remember those days that you were far from God and thank God that he rescued you. That he left the fold to chase after you, the one. Because all of us were the one at one point. And out of that, walk in your inheritance as a son and a daughter of God. Walk in life abundantly with the Holy Spirit in this life and the next. And let the fruit of your life the thing that would mark you, the thing that people would talk about when they encounter you is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control. Let those things be the markers in your life that when people would see you, they would be left with one of those fruits and then grow the heritage of God. Go and tell your story, and maybe your story maybe sound like this. I was once blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was far from God, and now I'm a part of the family.